is such good news for us today to know that Christ wants to be magnified through me, through you today. And I don't know if uh, while you're watching this and singing along, if you sense the spirit moving, but the eight or 10 of us in this room definitely just met with Jesus in this room. And so I hope and pray that God actually speaks a word to you today. And I believe as we open up the word that he has a word for you today. I wanna pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning and we'll jump in. Holy Spirit, we need you today. We need you today. It is so easy to wanna bow down to idols. It's so easy to be formed by our own feelings. It's so easy to question and doubt and wonder away. We need your Holy Spirit just to grab a hold of our hearts today, like a magnet to attract us back to you today. I'm thankful that you are so much stronger than songs and so much stronger than words. You're so much stronger than my spoken words. Like your spirit, God, has the power to fix and mend and heal and recenter today. So that's what we're, that's what we're asking for today. Thank you for the gift of songs. Thank you for the gift of these melodies and these words that help tune our heart to think about you rightly. So we come to you today with open hands, with open hearts. We ask you to speak to us today. It's in your name I pray, amen. Amen, well, I wanna start today by just reading Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, which is where we're gonna center our time in today. And so I'm gonna just jump in and read this. And this is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It took me a long time to catch up to a Christianity that felt like this, that believed like this. You know, I didn't become a Christian until college. And even though I grew up around Christians, and around the church, the kind of Christianity that I grew up around, it didn't feel anything like what I'm reading here in Ephesians chapter two. I grew up with a gospel that implied it's by works that you're saved. It's by how strong you are that you're saved. It's if you're good enough, you're saved. The gospel that I grew up around wasn't one that said, hey, you're a dead person and you need to be brought to life. It was one that said, hey, you're an unhealthy person and Jesus can make you a little bit better. But that is not the gospel of Jesus. And that's definitely not what we read here in Ephesians 2. Sometimes we need a reset to remember this incredibly profound truth that we have a unique salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe for some of you guys today, this is gonna be old news, right? You've heard this before. And if that's you, I pray that this would be a reset and a reminder for you today how beautiful grace is. If this is brand new news for you today, the first time you're hearing this, 
This is my hope for you. I hope and pray that you would receive the gift of Jesus and his salvation today. I grew up in this hot, hot desert of West Texas, all right, in between Marfa and Alpine, about seven hours from Austin. I lived there till the seventh grade. And back then I hated the desert of West Texas. It was hot all the time. It was barren, it was empty, it was lifeless. And even though I grew up in a Christian home, like I said, I did not know Jesus. The kind of religiosity I grew up around, now that I look back on it, was completely void of a gospel of grace. It was like the desert, it was empty, it was barren, it was lifeless. To me, following Jesus was always about working hard enough to please Jesus, to earn his love. It was about doing, acting, faking it if you needed to, but in a word, salvation was earned. And when you believe that salvation is earned, it profoundly affects the way that you think about Jesus. It changes your perspective on him. And here's what I thought about Jesus. I thought Jesus was super frustrated with me all the time. I thought Jesus was distant and far away, hard to find. Honestly, I thought Jesus was super weird. He was out of touch, out of reach, never accessible. I thought the people that followed Jesus were also super weird. And Jesus, weird Jesus, asked weird people to do weird things. I'll give you a couple examples to make my point. The Christian school uh, that was around uh, had blue sidewalks and pink sidewalks, right? Blue sidewalks were for boys and pink sidewalks for girls because Jesus didn't want people of the opposite sex mingling together. Uh, there was a strict six inch rule at all times to make sure that boys and girls were not anywhere close to each other. They, uh, they called co-ed swimming, they called it mixed bathing, all right? And that was like strictly forbidden because God definitely doesn't want that to happen. Men couldn't have long hair, women weren't allowed to wear pants, any kind of music that had distorted guitars in it or secular lyrics was totally banned, right? And everything was about you trying to follow all those rules to try to earn God's salvation. And if you did it, then you did it and you got Jesus. And if you didn't do it, then you would go to hell. Now, to be clear, Jesus did not actually demand these things. People just told me that, they, that he did. And so I tried my hardest to obey because I also didn't want to go to hell. But here's what I've found. A works-based Christianity is lifeless. It's exhausting. It's impossible to live up to. That kind of religion feels like a very hot desert, empty, lifeless, barren. But I remember the first time I experienced a downpour in the desert. In Texas, we call them gully washers. It's this Texas rainstorm that comes out of nowhere and just engulfs the place. I remember the first time I experienced that. And when rain finally falls into a desert, it changes everything. Like everything wakes up, life returns. One afternoon in August, I found myself on the front porch of a little place called the Starlight Lounge in Terlingua, Texas. Terlingua, Texas is this tiny ghost town on the border right next to the Rio Grande. And in one moment, um, the sky was like bright sun, beautiful, no clouds. And then in the next minute, 
this massive rainstorm rolled through and these sheets of rain fell uh, and it seemed to just come from nowhere. And all at once, without any prompting, without any planning, everybody that was on the front porch, there was probably 20, 30 people hanging out on the front porch of that restaurant, ran out into the rain and started dancing. Like dry pants became soaked, bored women danced in the rain. Dudes took their shirts off and ran around in the rain and kids jumped around playing. At one point, no lie, uh, this cowboy uh, reached into his truck and pulled out a towel and started washing off his dirty F-150. I have a picture to show it to you so you know I'm not lying about any of this stuff. This guy was washing his truck with the biggest grin ever because when you live in the desert, you never know when you're gonna get a free car wash. So you might as well take the opportunity when you get it. It was a bizarre experience to watch, but when unexpected rain comes to a desert, everyone and everything wakes up to how life is supposed to be. Thrilling, fun, alive, vibrant. Why? Because rain is a grace to the desert sand. No one plans it, no one conjures it up, nobody earns it. It's just a radically kind thing that God brings to the scene. And church, that is exactly what it feels like when grace shows up. That's what it feels like when grace shows up to a stale version of Christianity that says salvation has anything to do with you. It feels like rain in the desert. It's what it feels like when you realize you are a recipient of unmerited, undeserving, unearned love and salvation from Jesus. So maybe today you need it to rain in your desert. Like maybe today you need a fresh reminder of just how unique the grace of God is and how unique of a salvation you have in Jesus Christ. We could have never done anything in that desert to conjure up the rain, but still the rains came. See, this is one of the most uh, unique things about Christianity. It's what sets Jesus apart from every other religion in the world. If you think about it, every other religion in the world is about trying to build a bridge toward God. It's about trying to do enough right things and be a right enough person so that you can get to God. That's what every other religion says. You've got to figure out a way, whether it's through good works or it's through enlightenment or it's through measuring up against a set of rules. It's an aim to get God. And if you are good enough, then maybe God will let you into his heaven. But in Christianity, salvation happens the moment the rain, God's grace pours down upon your dead and lifeless heart. And when that happens, you cannot help yourself, but run out into that rain with belief and with joy saying, I did nothing to deserve this free gift of grace and salvation. It's all by God's grace. This is what Ephesians 2, is so emphatically saying to us, look at it again. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. That's who you were 
before you were saved by Jesus. Like some of you, some of you can remember that vividly. Like you remember being caught up in dead end sin patterns. Like you can remember what it felt like to, like the scripture says, to follow the course of this world and to give into the desires of the body and the mind. You can remember that. And some of you can't remember it. Maybe you became a Christian when you were six years old. But whether you remember it or not, it doesn't change this truth. You were dead before Jesus brought you to life. That's what Jesus does. That's what's so profound about this scripture. Look at what it says next in verse four. But God, right? You were dead, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, you need to hear this. You were dead, but God showed up. The rains came, right? And the rains poured, they fell. He is rich in mercy and he did it all with grace. He saves dead people and he makes them alive. See, that's why there's no such thing as trying to be a Christian. Some of you are trying so hard to earn the love of God and you're frustrated that you keep failing. Like I get it, that's exactly the way I felt so long ago in West Texas. And if that's you, I just wanna offer you the truth today that hopefully will release a burden from your shoulders and off your life. You can never ever be good enough to earn the love of God. You can never clean yourself up enough. All you have to do is receive what Jesus has already done for you. That should be freeing for you today to understand that sort of grace. See, what makes someone a Christian isn't trying to do better and be better. What makes someone a Christian is receiving what Jesus has already done for you. He's the one that already lived a perfect life. So he's the one that saves you. You know, when you hear sermons like this, it's hard for some of us to approach Jesus because we see how deep our sin goes. Like you might even be thinking as you hear this, man, if you knew like what I'm into or what I did, there's no way that you would be looking at me and telling me that God wants to offer me grace. You might be thinking, man, if you knew my inner monologue and you knew my past, there's absolutely no way that God would want me. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't have any problem highlighting God's grace towards a sinner, none. In fact, in Romans 5.20, it says this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And just as your thoughts, your words, and your actions cannot save you, your thoughts your words, your actions can never diminish God's grace for you. In fact, it is your wrong thoughts and it is your wrong actions and it is your wrong words that actually qualify you for grace. It is by grace that you have been 
saved. And here's what's been uh, blowing my mind lately, like on a personal level. I'm reading this beautiful book by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And in it, he says this. He says, grace is not a thing. Grace is not a thing. Grace is not something Jesus has to muster up. It's not something he has to package up and then stockpile. So whenever we need grace, we can go to the stockpile and get more grace that he mustered up for us. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. In the Bible, we're given a, not a thing called grace. We're not given a thing called grace. In the Bible, we're given a person called Jesus. Like he is grace. He is the gift. He is salvation. He is the treasure. Jesus is grace. Like, I don't know when the last time you got some crazy radical free kind of gift that you didn't earn or deserve. But I know when I think about that in my own life, the first thing that comes to mind is my wife, Jamie. She's amazing. And there is, believe me when I say this, there is nothing that I ever could have done to earn or deserve uh, to have a friend like Jamie. I was a terrible boyfriend when we were dating. I did not know how to love. I still fail her all the time. I did not earn a friend like Jamie, but God in his kindness gave a gift. And he said, this is the friend that I want you to have because I know this is the best thing for you and the best thing for her. It was a free gift that I never ever could have earned or deserved. And listen, if I, if I believe that about Jamie, how much more infinitely true is it about the gift of Jesus that has been generously given to me? And listen, I don't boast at all in me having a gift like Jamie. Why? Because I brag on the gift giver. God's the one that did it. God's the one that did it. He was just super kind. And the same thing is true about Jesus. Jesus did everything for you. Jesus is the one that built a bridge to come to you. He did all the work for you. He did all the moving. He did all the chasing. It was by total and absolute grace that he set his eye on you and called you his own. He brought to you a unique salvation, one that can never be changed. It can never be broken. And it cost him something. Like it came at a great cost to himself, death on a cross, but he gave himself freely. Listen, the greatest gift that the world has ever seen is Jesus saving dead people and then giving them himself and making them alive. It's the greatest gift that the world has or ever will see. This is how Titus 3 explains this. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, hear this, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Christian, if that verse right there does not floor you, man, I pray today you'd go back and you'd read that again until it does floor you. Because it talks about God's rich mercy, his lavish grace, his chasing, his pursuing to you. It's always been about Jesus. It's never been about us. When God gave you the gift of grace, when he gave you the gift of unique salvation, he did not just give you a thing, but he gave you a person. He gave you Jesus. And I believe in this moment right now, this weird moment that we find ourselves watching a sermon on a screen, I believe in this moment right now, he is literally doing the same thing that he's been doing since the beginning of creation building bridges, chasing people down, bringing dead people to life. I think he's literally doing that in this moment right now. Last week, a man came up to one of our elders and he said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I've actually been an atheist my entire life. And for whatever reason, I started watching online services at the Austin Stone and I got moved and I met God. And I just wanted to let you know, I believe in Jesus now. I've decided to trust him with my whole life and I'm now a Christian. And the elder looked at him and said, wait a second, you're telling me that you became a Christian, a Christ follower by watching one of our online services? And the man said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And see, here's the thing about that story. That, that man didn't do anything to become saved. There was nothing he had to do except receive the free gift of salvation. And where of all places in the world did Jesus meet him? In front of a screen while he was listening to worship songs and hearing the word of God preached over him. Someone listening right now needs to simply receive the gift of salvation. Like, you know who you are. Like, you're getting that sense right now of, uh, I think Jesus is chasing after me. He is. He is. It's what he does. He's so good. And I want to tell you, if that's you, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to clean yourself up enough. That's because Christianity is all about Jesus doing the work for you. It's about him reaching to you, calling out to you, saying, come, receive what I've done for you on the cross. If that is you. Listen, call out to him right now. Like literally, I'm gonna invite you right now just to hold your hands out in front of you with just a posture of receiving. There's no magic prayer. There's no secret process. When a gift like death to life salvation shows up at your doorstep, you simply receive it. So I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. Put it in your own words, but call out to him and say, God, I want to receive salvation today. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christ follower. Put this in your own words. God, I am a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. I think you're calling me out. I think you're building a bridge to me because I couldn't get you on my own. I believe you are the risen Christ and I'm giving you my life. I confess with my words and I believe in my heart that you are God. Thank you for saving me.
Amen. Amen. And if you, if you just received salvation today, I want you to know I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy for you. And as a church, we would like nothing more than to come alongside you and help you follow this person, Jesus. So today, reach out to somebody. Email one of your congregation leaders. It would be an absolute joy to walk you through the next steps of what it looks like to just surrender your whole life to Jesus. Some of you might be thinking as you hear that, so wait, that's it? It's that simple, that's it? Yes, Christianity is not complicated. Christianity is simple. Trust Jesus, live for Jesus, become like Jesus. Christianity is not complex. But Christianity also is not easy. It's not easy to live a holy life. It's not easy to live a legit life. But understanding that salvation is a free gift will become a motivator for holy living. Listen, to be clear, we don't obey so that God will save us, but we do obey because God has saved us. Like he's called us to live holy lives. First Peter 1.16 says, be holy because I am holy. See, the more you understand what Jesus has done for you, the more you will want to be holy for him. Like when you realize that salvation has literally nothing to do with your behavior, the more radically you'll want to change your behavior to live a holy life. You can't take sin lightly anymore. You might ask, okay, holy life, what is holy life? Are you saying that, uh, that I can live a sin-free life and I should try to never ever sin again and that's a holy life? No, here's what a holy life is. A holy life is literally a set apart life. It's knowing and believing and understanding that I am not my own anymore, but I am set apart for someone and something else. Because I've been saved by grace, I now belong to Jesus. I am not Aaron's anymore. I belong to Jesus. Living a holy life means you're living a set apart life. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It doesn't mean you'll never sin in the same way again, but it means you'll never be able to enjoy sin like you did before because the conviction of the Holy Spirit will sink in and you will be convicted because you're now set apart. Church, did you know today that he actually wants you to be holy? He wants you to live with the realization, I belong to Jesus. I am his. There is this, um, mind-blowing, beautiful, I know I say mind-blowing and beautiful all the time when I'm talking about scripture, but I actually believe this word of God is that incredible. There's this passage of scripture in James 4 that I've wrestled with this week in a really good way because it talks about what kind of steward we need to be of this gift of salvation we've been given. It talks about how you and I need to actually live a holy life because we've been set apart by God for a holy life in this unique salvation. And so I wanna read it over you. And then um, Brett and Katie are gonna lead us in a song this morning. This is what the scripture says. This is from the message paraphrase. God is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge 
that God goes against the willful proud, but God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him run away. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and the games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get back up on your feet. Listen, God is a fiercely jealous lover. He's jealous for you. Like he loves you so much. He died for you. He gave himself as a free gift to you. He sees you, he knows you, he likes you. And with his love comes his beautiful, fierce, gracious jealousy for you. Like he does not want you dabbling in sin. He's jealous for your whole heart. He doesn't want you playing the field. He's jealous for your whole heart. He doesn't want you going back to the old ways you used to live when you were dead. He's jealous for your whole heart. So Christian, new Christian that just became a Christian today, or Christian who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, get serious, get really serious because you have a unique salvation that has everything to do with him. He is worthy of your whole life and he is ready to be grace to you over and over and over. So run out into God's reign of grace and let it cover you with hope and joy today, knowing that grace is not a thing, but grace is a person and his name is Jesus. So let me pray for you to believe that. Jesus, I thank you for grace. I thank you for the uniqueness of salvation that is so better and different and higher than any lesser religion could ever stack up to. They all fail because they're about things and they're about processes and they're about rules, but you are the risen Christ. You are the living God. We have a unique salvation in you. Help us be grateful for it. Help us to steward it as a treasure, a gift, a gift that we receive and a gift that we're grateful for. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna sing together a new song. This is a song, like this stuff that I'm talking about is not just like sermon written down on paper, but this is stuff that we're all living uh, out right now. Like we're, we're having to ask God to help us believe in his grace. We're asking to ask, uh, having to ask him to produce holiness in us. So this is a song called Grace Has a Name. Um, this is a song that me and uh, Brett and Alex and Marcus wrote uh, as we were moved by this passage of scripture. We were floored by it. And these are words that God kind of gave us. And so we pray as you hear these, as you see these words, that God would remind you today how beautiful his grace is and how much he loves you. We love you, church. <laughs> 